This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are joining us today. This is our second episode in the six-part series with registered dietitians talking all things nutrition and how to fuel your body as an athlete. And uh, last week, we talked to Anna Turner, who's a sports dietitian, and we went over all the basics on hydration and electrolytes. This week, this episode is with Maddie Alm, also a registered dietitian. All of these episodes are with registered dietitians. Um, She was recently on the podcast in our regular Friday episode, episode 388, talking about being on Team Boss and some big athletic breakthroughs she had in 2021. What a great interview she was. Super fun to talk to. And I knew that when I was going to do a nutrition series, I wanted to make sure I incorporated her into the series. So today on this episode, Maddie is talking with us about Red S, what that is relative energy deficiency. And we also go into a pretty big deep dive on iron and what levels you should be looking for uh, in your ferritin in your body and how you can increase your iron intake, as well as how to identify if you have relative energy deficiency. This is a super informative one that I hope that you can really learn something from. That's my goal with this nutrition series is that we all walk away feeling empowered to fuel our bodies well and take good care of ourselves while we try to compete at whatever level we are working at, uh, competing at. So this episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker. I'm so grateful to have them on board for the podcast and there's really no better fit than Inside Tracker for this series specifically. Inside Tracker was created by leading scientists in aging genetics, biometrics, and Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you are not. We put so much time and energy into running or whatever it is you personally are passionate about. And I just think to be able to know what your levels are, especially for your iron and things like that, it's key. So with Inside Tracker, they will take your blood panel and then they will give you those results and give you an ultra personalized performance system that analyzes all the data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and it will help you learn how to optimize your body and reach your goals. For a limited time, you can receive 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you go to insidetracker.com slash another. If you go to that exact landing page, that should automatically apply the 20%. If that's not working, just use the code another and that will get you 20% off. In next week's episode on the podcast, we're actually gonna go over some lab results and what we should be looking for in the nutrition episode next week. So that's gonna be a really good one. We're gonna look at vitamin D, iron, ferritin, B12, magnesium, And Anna Turner, sports dietitian, is going to go over some helpful information with us. So if you want to follow along and get your own lab work done, just go to insidetracker.com slash another. Use that code another for 20% off. And you can really just like go through this process with us. All right, friends, if you're loving this nutrition series, leave us a rating and review and let us know what you think. 
Go give our registered dietitians some love on their social media. Uh, links to all the social media for the guests that we talk to in these episodes will be in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com. You can just sign up for our newsletter there and all that information will be delivered to your inbox every single week. Sandyboyproductions.com. Uh, all right, friends. Well, I hope that this conversation with Maddie is as helpful to you as it was to me. Enjoy my conversation with Maddie Alm. All right, friends. Well, I am so excited to present this six-part nutrition series. And one of our registered dietitians on the show for the series is a returning guest who was just on, Maddie Alm. Welcome back to the show, Maddie. Thanks so much for having me back. Really excited to have you. Let's just kick it off because I saw you competing this weekend at the Portland Track Festival. I watched the race. I was actually at an event, a running, like a race event, and um, we were doing kind of like a closing ceremony thing. And myself and this other uh, runner that was there, we were like sitting at the, our table by ourselves <laughs> watching the That's races awesome. <laughs> um, on her phone. So tell us how the race went for you. It was good. Yeah. I had a little bit of a rough start to my season. I actually found out I had low iron. So there you go. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I was able to to fix that. Um, unfortunately, not quickly enough to get the US standard, but it was much better than my first race. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. So what made you now this is perfect for not perfect for you. I'm not happy for you that you had low iron, but what <laughs> it's perfect for the episode conversation. Yes. Um, what was it that made you think, Oh, I better get my iron checked. We had been at altitude for four weeks. We were up in Crested Butte and we came back down. I knew I was pretty fit, but we'd had some kind of weird workouts where I was just like struggling to finish strong, which normally I feel like I, is not a huge issue for me. Um, and so when I raced the 5k at sound, uh, the first mile was great. And then I just like hit this wall. Like I've never hit in a race before. And I knew something was like off, you know, it wasn't just like a mental thing. I felt really confident going in. Um, so I got some blood work done and my ferritin had dropped almost 15 points while being in Crested Butte, which had been not ideal. And I'd been taking iron, but it wasn't a form that worked for me. So anyway, moral of the story, we figured it out. But at that point, I only had like 10 days till the 10K champs and then, you know, less than three weeks to get my U.S. qualifier for the 10 So or for the five. I mean, so it was just kind of um, not ideal timing, but good to have a, an answer for why I felt that way. And now I feel so much better. So I'm excited to keep racing this summer. Oh, good. So a couple yeah. follow up questions with that. Yeah. If someone is like curious that their iron might be low, because you said you had yeah. a couple bad workouts in the race. And you know, when you have a couple bad workouts, you're like, okay, is it that, is it like a week before my period? Am I just feeling off? You know, right. like right. at what point do you think someone should go ahead and like, go ahead and get that checked? I think if it's consistently becoming an issue where you're just struggling with every workout, not just like the hardest workouts. And then again, if you feel like your fitness isn't translating in races and it's not just like, oh, I had a bad race or like you can pick out what you did wrong in the race or maybe you mentally struggled. It's like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I mm. felt like I was ready and it just didn't pan out the way I thought it would. So, I mean, I think it's always good to get blood work done, you know, at the beginning of a training block or giving yourself plenty of time before races, not like how I did it, where you find out in the middle of racing season. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just kind of if you suspect anything, and I always think it's good to get a baseline, even if everything feels good at the beginning of the season, just to have it. So if something starts to feel off, you have that comparison. 
Okay, now I'm going to ask all the questions that might sound silly, but I'm assuming some of our listeners might be thinking this too. I'm thinking this, so I'm going to go ahead and throw it out here. Yeah. Does your iron, (laughs) I feel silly even asking this, but. It's okay. Does your iron drop when you train at altitude? Is that typical? It is typical. Yeah, mostly because your body's trying really hard to produce new red blood cells or more red blood cells to help support the lack of oxygen. That's kind of how we get better at altitude. You get those training adaptations. Um, But if your iron status isn't great, then you're not going to get that same benefit. And then at the same time, it's going to drop a lot more quickly because your need for iron goes way up and how much iron you're using goes way up. Um, so it's just kind of like the perfect recipe. If you don't go up with optimal iron, um, it's probably not going <laughs> to maximize your training there at the very least. And at the very worst, it's going to continue to drop your iron and start to affect performance. So case in point right here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I know ferritin is what where the iron is stored. So right. when you're looking at your blood work and you see your iron level and your ferritin level, like what are we looking for there? Yeah. So basically the way that I would explain it and the way my college coach explained it, you have kind of like your money in your wallet, which is what you have available to spend. That's your ferritin. That's what we have in our blood. That's kind of our iron stores. And then we have hemoglobin, which is what you would call money in the bank. So as you spend all your money in your wallet, you have to make withdrawals from the bank. So usually the first number to start dropping is your ferritin. And when that gets too low, then your hemoglobin starts to drop. And that's usually when we see an impact on performance. So getting ahead of that and making sure you notice like, oh, my hemoglobin used to be 14 and now it's 13.5. That's probably going to start affecting your performance here pretty soon. Um, So, yeah, most people focus on ferritin, but there's definitely other numbers that we want to look at as well. Total iron in your blood isn't really as much of an indicator But if you have low iron status, that number will also be low. Okay. And then one more iron question specifically now. Mm -hmm. Um, As an endurance athlete, so say Mm -hmm. someone that's training for half marathons and marathons, you know, you go to like your doctor, you get your levels checked and everything. And for the average person who's not working out super intensely, the doctor might say these levels are okay, but if you're an endurance athlete, like what's the difference there that you need to be looking for? Yeah, so that's where it gets a little tricky if you just look at ferritin. Um, There are some people who have what's called hemochromatosis, which is a genetic condition that causes high iron, and their ferritin can be low or normal. A lot of times it's really high, but it can be low or normal but the other numbers are really high. Mm -hmm. So just ferritin alone doesn't always indicate an issue, but typically what I tell, especially female athletes, if your ferritin is below 40, you definitely want to look at some other numbers, talk to a dietitian about supplementing, try to figure out why it's low in the first place, and then try to get it up. Ideally, like 60 to 80 is a really good range to aim for. Most doctors will tell you your iron is normal if it's above 20. And that's not not really the case for a lot of athletes. Wow. Oh, my gosh. It's And it is just wild how different you feel. My husband takes iron. I don't have to, but um, there – Listen, I beat him in our first marathon. It's like my claim to like all things good. (laughs) But we found out that his iron was really low. So it's like not quite as cool for me. Yeah, that's okay. You still still have that claim to fame. That's true. (laughs) 10 minutes. Um, 
And then he was doing ultras for a while and um, he had a couple of really good ones. And then he went and ran Kettle Moraine 100K and like oh, wow. just felt awful and went, went back and iron yeah. was low again. It's like, mm-hmm. man, and he was fit, you know, yeah, like yeah. he I shouldn't know. have That's felt the that. the most frustrating part. Yeah. Yeah. So get your get your blood work done. Yes, <laughs> because it, I mean, because my thing is, it's like, gosh, we spend so much time and energy and resources, money on running. Mm-hmm. Like even though people say running is a sport where you can just lace up and go. Let's right. be honest, like it can be very expensive. Yeah, right. Well, you have to do all the little things to make it worthwhile. So, yeah, definitely it adds up. <laughs> so it's like make sure that this is in line. And I think iron is like yeah. super important. Um, I would agree. Okay, that's really good to know those numbers. So <laughs> there you go. Maddie said 60 to 80. For ferritin, depending for ferritin. And that depends on the person, depends on the situation. But I would say if your numbers are below that, follow up with a dietitian or a sports medicine doctor who can help you figure out a better picture of your iron and if it's something that needs to be addressed. Wow. Okay, I'm just going to ask you a personal question because I just yeah. got my inside tracker results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my ferritin was 42. Uh-huh. And it said it wasn't like a problem zone, but it was like needs right. optimized. Right. What would you tell me? Yeah. So I would probably take a look at like hemoglobin, hematocrit, some of those other numbers as well. Um, get a better idea of what your iron status looks like. And especially compared to how it's looked in the past, mm. there are some athletes who have a really hard time getting their ferritin up to the 50s or 60s and they do fine. There are some athletes whose ferritin needs to be 70 or 80 to do well. Wow. So it's kind of also all relative. Um, so getting a better picture of what it typically looks like and how you're feeling, that kind of thing. Um, sometimes I'll try like a just very mild iron supplement and see if that can get us a little bit higher without going overboard. Um, but yeah, it kind of just depends on the big picture and what I think might be contributing to that number. Um, and then, you know, I've, I don't eat meat, so I'm sure that, you know, no red meat or anything, but then I also know that like, you're supposed to take something high in vitamin C when you Mm -hmm. take your iron. Is that true? Yeah, so vitamin C helps us absorb iron. So especially plant-based eaters, if you're eating a lot of iron-rich foods, you need to be eating them with vitamin C. And actually acid can help with absorption. So like cooking things in vinegar or lemon juice, um, you know, that kind of stuff can help as well. So there's a lot of different things that can interfere with iron absorption and enhance iron absorption, more so even with plant-based iron. And how did you find which supplement worked for you? So uh, in college, actually, this is like the one that CU always used. It's called Hemaplex. Probably most athletes are familiar with it. I never liked it in college because it really hurt my stomach. Mm, Um, So I tried. I actually have never really had low iron before. So um, I had been taking just kind of like maintenance iron up in Crested Butte, but the form Mm. was different and it just didn't work for me. In Hemaplex, I brought my ferritin up from a 25 to a 45 in two weeks. So wow. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess I'll give in to the, give in to the Hemaplex. Hemoplex. <laughs> yes, actually, I have it right here. And oh, this nice. is not a commercial. <laughs> I'm not paid by Hemoplex. Not sponsored by Hemoplex. Uh, not at all. But it works, I'll tell you. So when you take that, mm-hmm. do you go ahead and take a vitamin C supplement at the same time? So Hemaplex actually has a lot of vitamin C and like B vitamins and all the stuff that also impact blood cell health, which I think is why it works so well. Um, so I don't usually, but taking it on an empty stomach actually helps. Oh, really? Can, and it doesn't yeah. make you feel nauseous? 
Oh, it depends on the day, but you know, <laughs> it's worth it to get that iron up. If it does make you feel nauseous, I'll have like pretzels or something small with it that won't interfere with the absorption just to settle my stomach a little. Um, but I actually don't usually have too many issues. So how long do you wait then to like, you know, like eat a full meal? Um, usually I try to do like in between a meal and a snack. So okay. it'll be like an hour after my meal, an hour or two before my snack. The other tricky thing with iron is like coffee. You can't have it with coffee or tea or dairy. Um, it's a very temperamental nutrient and it's very hard to figure out how to fit it into people's days. So Wow. <laughs> I don't I don't think I knew the coffee situation. Uh, coffee and any vitamin is not a good combo. Man, that's hard because I feel like we eat breakfast and our, have our coffee and it's like, oh, let me get my vitamins in for the day. One. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So sounds like an afternoon, like after lunch between lunch and snack or something. And if you yeah. have had lunch an hour earlier, your stomach's not like, I don't think I would get nauseous eating an hour yeah, later. It'd be exactly. like if I woke up in the morning, hadn't eaten in 12 hours, then I would get nauseous. Right. right. And the other thing with iron, it's actually better absorbed in the morning. We produce a hormone that interferes with iron absorption that increases it, like throughout the day and then also three to six hours post run. So it's a very complicated, like I said, complicated nutrient to um, optimize, but Sometimes you just got to do your best and it's been working for me. So that's what I've been doing. But other athletes obviously have different schedules and different considerations. So yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I'll tell you. <laughs> hey friends, a quick break here to give some love to Koala Clip. Koala Clip is the best way to carry your phone when you are on the go. It clips right to the back of your sports bra and your phone stays dry. It doesn't bounce around. It's not annoying. And this is a small business owned by Christina who had this brilliant idea and ran with it literally and created this amazing product for runners. She also has an apparel line now that I just love. The Ren sports bra is my favorite. And for a limited time, you all can check out Koala Clip. It's a great gift idea, if I do say so myself, um, for your runner friends in your life or anybody. I've gifted the Koala Clip to my sisters for Christmas in the past. Just go to koalaclip.com and use the code ANOTHER and that will get you 10% off your order. That's koalaclip.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 10% off your order. Okay, so one of the topics we're going to talk about today, the beef of everything, the big topic yeah. is Red S. Mm-hmm. Um, so recently, like a week ago, Jake Riley, who has been on this podcast, listeners, you might know him as the, um, he uh, ran in the Olympics. He made the Olympic team in the marathon and he very openly and candidly shared his story um, suffering from Red S. So I just, you know, as I was planning this nutrition series, I was like, this is something we need to talk about. And I think that oftentimes we think this is something females struggle with, which is why I'm so glad that Jake shared his experience because I want everybody to to keep it in mind. So can you just share like what is red S? Yeah. So red S stands for relative energy deficiency in sport. And basically it happens when we have a mismatch in energy needs. So how much energy we're taking in versus how much energy we're using. And obviously endurance athletes are extremely high risk for this because we burn so much energy on a daily basis, both inside and outside of training. 
And then we also are at risk because it's typically, first of all, hard to get all of the nutrients and calories that we need in a day without intentionally trying every day. Um, And then it's also a high risk sport for eating disorders and disordered eating. So there's a lot that goes into that energy imbalance. And, you know, we have the intentional side of things where obviously that's more of like the disordered eating or eating disorder side. But I see a lot of this happen to athletes unintentionally because they just don't understand their energy needs. And then when you do this for a prolonged period of time, that really starts to add up and then kind of presents itself down the line. So basically, Red S is kind of a group of symptoms. You've probably heard of the female athlete triad, and that's what it used to be labeled as. But now, as of about 2008, we know it affects not just females, it also affects males. And we know there's a lot more to it than just losing your period and getting stress fractures. That's kind of this more severe end of things. Now we know it affects a whole bunch of systems in the body. So we can see micronutrient deficiencies, so poor blood work coming back, um, mood disturbances, so more likely to experience depression, anxiety, some of that stuff, GI issues, which is a challenging one because typically when athletes have GI issues, they have a hard time fueling. So then it kind of creates this vicious cycle um, impact on the musculoskeletal system. So inability to build or maintain lean muscle mass, lots of injuries, inefficient muscle contractions, obviously not going to help you with performance. It can affect your aerobic capacity. So your ability to really just do the endurance side of things. Your heart rate tends to be higher for the same effort. Um, Your aerobic capacity goes down. So that's a big one. Recovery, sleep gets affected. Um, So there's so many different aspects to it. And that was where when Jake had reached out and he was like, oh, I have this. Like I always go through a checklist with athletes for red ass symptoms. And if they check a certain amount of boxes for me, I kind of take a look at their intake versus their needs and see if there's a big gap and kind of put all that together and Usually I say, have you ever heard of Red S? Mm -hmm. And most athletes say no, actually. I think it's becoming more common to have heard about it, but a lot of them say no. So I kind of educate them on those symptoms and it actually helps them feel better. They're like, oh, I'm not crazy. Like Mm -hmm. these are all connected. I had no idea. And changing my fueling can help me. So it usually comes when athletes are feeling really desperate for a solution because they're like, I don't know what's going on. I'm not performing well. I'm doing everything I think I should be, but it's not helping. So it's usually a relief for them to find out about it. Um, But that's kind of, in a nutshell, what Red S is and what you might experience if you have it. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be honest. Like, I've heard of it for a very long time, but I kind of always wrote it off as like, oh, these are like young women athletes who aren't getting their periods. They're probably a little bit underweight, for lack of a better term. Like, they're just not Mm -hmm. fueling well. And, um, I never really thought it would be something that like an everyday athlete might encounter too, but man, these everyday athletes that are like working really hard, like they're putting a lot into this thing. You know what I mean? These these marathoners that are trying to break three hours and, and things like that. And so, um, I wonder like, what are some things you would tell people just heard you like run down all that and think, oh my gosh, like I just PR'd in a marathon, but like, I'm still thinking I'm checking some of those boxes. Yeah, for sure. So I guess the biggest thing that I see is that 
you know, myth that lighter is faster. And especially when it comes to endurance athletes, I get a lot of people reaching out saying I'm training for a marathon and I want to lose X amount of pounds so I can race my best. And usually for me, that is the first red flag because that tells me they're probably doing something to manipulate their intake so that they're eating less. And I think that's the tricky part. A lot of athletes don't understand that, oh, you know, if I'm going to perform well, I need to lose weight. So I'm just going to eat salads. And that's the biggest mistake that I see marathoners make. You're missing out on so many nutrients. You put yourself in too big of a calorie deficit. And that really adds up to negatively impact your performance. But the athlete sees it as, oh, I'm just not doing enough. I need to cut out more things or do more to to improve even more. Um, So it definitely creates this like vicious cycle. And a lot of athletes, it's counterintuitive that eating more and especially eating more carbs actually helps with body composition and helps with performance but most athletes think the opposite. So I see that a lot with um, like first time marathoners or people who just don't understand those energy needs and then have a really busy schedule on top of that. Um, It definitely takes work, but what I always tell athletes is you're putting in all this time to train. You don't wanna cancel that out by not fueling yourself properly. So most of the time, once people learn about it and make those changes, they do see a better improvement and they feel better they can function, they can spend time with their kids on the weekends after their long run instead of just blending in with the couch for the rest of the day. Um, You know, I'd say that's probably the biggest thing I see. And if you do suspect that you're struggling with any of, you know, the red S symptoms or under fueling, just reaching out to a dietitian, I think is something most people don't think to do, which, you know, we don't hesitate to reach out to a PT if we have an injury pop up Mm. or reach out to a doctor if we feel like something's off. But most people don't think to reach out to a dietitian until it's like they're at their wits end or they've had something else happen where they're like, oh, this has to be fueling related. So I again, kind of like with the blood work, do it early, get it figured out, come up with a fueling plan, figure out how to support your training. And all it really takes is sometimes like a few sessions and then you're ready to go. So, you know, I think people get overwhelmed or intimidated by it, but I think it's so much better to have that guidance than to try to do it on your own. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm telling you what, I, I coach a very small handful of runners, like marathoners. Usually people are trying to uh, Boston qualify or break for hours, things like that. And one of the athletes I've been coaching for a year and a half, she, I referred her to a sports dietitian, Anna Turner and man, her times are dropping. And I know for sure we would have some major bonks going on specifically in races too. If Mm -hmm. she hadn't like specifically figured out this nutrition thing for her personally, because like we can give people calculations on, okay, if you, you know, this is how much you should take per hour, but like her needs are, were so individual Mm -hmm. and most of our needs are, you know, our needs are individual. Yeah. Um, and I just like, she works so, so hard and I can't imagine throwing away those hours of training to not be able to um, like produce results in a race because right. she didn't have the nutrition dialed in. Yeah, exactly. It's a huge piece, but people often don't think of it until it's too late or there's something that's happened that's made them reach out. You know, I recently interviewed um, a clinical therapist um, about another topic on my podcast for parents. Why is everyone yelling? Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things we talked about was body image. And I had someone in that Facebook group ask how can I convince myself to 
fuel enough during long runs and whatnot because some people have it in their head like I'm going to counteract all this exercise I've done Mm -hmm. because in the back of our minds some of us there's still that thing that's like if I run this much or work out for this long it's going to help me lose weight Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's it's so tricky when that body image piece kind of sneaks in because a lot of people have this rational side of their brain where they know the right thing to do. They know the answer before they even ask me, they know. But they trick themselves into thinking, oh, maybe that's not the case for me. Maybe I'm the exception to that rule and it's going to be fine if I restrict or don't fuel. This is going to help me burn more calories than I'm putting back in. And everyone gets really caught up in this concept of like being in a calorie deficit, you know, like you have to have a calorie deficit to lose weight. And it's really not that simple. There's so many different things that go into weight loss or body composition changes. And our metabolism is a big one that's really impacted by underfueling. Mm. So a lot of times athletes who underfuel, their metabolism slows down. So our body starts to hold on to everything if we're underfueled, especially female athletes, we actually break down muscle tissue for fuel. Wow. Um, so then, you know, you can see how you're kind of fighting that goal that you're striving for by underfueling. And the other piece to that is that recovery piece, right? The whole idea with a marathon training block is that you're putting together consistent days of training and you're getting to that start line knowing that you've done, you know, all these workouts, all these long runs, you've been able to string together, you know, volume and intensity and get there and feel ready. But if you're struggling with recovery and you're trying to go back out there day after day and keep hammering, you're not only going to not gain as much from that training, but chances are you're going to end up injured or you're going to have to take more time off because you're just really struggling. So that feeling during peace plays two parts, not only to get you through that run and be your most efficient self, but also in that recovery piece where we're not as depleted afterwards. So it's not as hard for us to get back to 100% energy stores when we don't have to dig in as deep because we have this fuel coming in. So people don't really think about those dynamics. They just think about that equation of calories in, calories out. And the other issue with that is the fitness watches and trackers can be so inaccurate. Like there are studies that have been done that have shown 800 plus calories off. And that's huge. If you're basing your entire day on that and then you're typing everything into MyFitnessPal, which again, not accurate. A lot of those entries were made by random people who maybe entered it correctly, maybe didn't. Um, And then it's doing its best to estimate your calorie needs, but it's very generic. So if you're basing everything that you're doing off of that, the chances of you being far off are pretty high. And I always tell athletes this, it's not as simple as calculating a number. Your body needs different things each day. Mm. So learning how to tune into your body and pay attention to the signals it's giving you. So knowing the signs of underfueling, you know, knowing how you feel when you are properly fueled and being able to use that to gauge how you're doing is so much more important than being able to hit a certain number because there's days where you're, where you're going to need more. There's days where you're going to need less. But it's so arbitrary and it's so hard for people to, um, I guess, grasp that concept because runners and athletes in general are so type A. They love the numbers. They love the data, which I get. I'm the same way. I'm a science person and I'm a runner. So trust me, I get it. 
but it's not an exact science. There's the science piece, but then there's also the what is my body telling me piece and how can I interpret that and then use that to make my choices rather than letting my Garmin watch and my fitness pal tell me what I should be eating today. What a like relief as well though to be, to just not feel like you have to like give into that. You know what I yeah. mean? To like give into that like obsession every day. Um, if you're like working with someone who maybe recently got diagnosed with red S or you're, you're seeing some inner energy deficiency type things. Mm-hmm. It's like, I always say with food, I never, I've never been a tracker or anything like that because I feel like I've maintained a pretty healthy body image mm-hmm. and also like a pretty healthy relationship with food. Yeah. Partly because I know it's a slippery slope. And yes. so I've always kind of just stayed back from that. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you do when you know it's a slippery slope, but you know, hey, we kind of need to keep an eye on this and like make Mm -hmm. sure we're tracking some way. How do you work with clients in that regard? Yeah, I tell them that's where I come in. I worry about the numbers, not you. Um, You know, basically what I'll do is I'll calculate their estimated needs. I'll use that to put together a fueling plan for them. I don't give numbers. I don't give measurements. People are always shocked when they see it. It's very simple. It's very doable. But I'm showing you here's what it would look like in terms of meals and snacks to hit your fueling needs in a day. Most people can tell right off the bat, wow, this is way more than I eat or this looks fairly similar. There's just an extra snack in here. Um, And then, you know, I'm the one who's on my end looking at the numbers and making sure it lines up with their needs and helping them learn what does that look like without them you know, really strictly tracking things. And then I have a tool that I use where people can put like a food log in or they can send me pictures of their food. And I use that to give them more specific feedback rather than having them do the entries where they're seeing the numbers and they're seeing everything. Because my goal is for athletes to learn something called intuitive eating, where you learn how to listen to your body, like I said, and what it's telling you. But the tricky part with athletes is we do have appetite suppression from training. Mm. So we have to learn how to balance that intuitive eating piece with what I call like smart eating, where you know when you should be eating, but you don't feel like it versus when you're actually full and don't need to be eating. So that's a big um, skill that a lot of people don't have that I like to work with them on developing because that lasts beyond your time as an athlete too. So, you know, it's a good skill to have because we have to eat every day for the rest of our lives, no matter what. Um, So I think it's really important that people work on that piece of their relationship with food and learn how to move away from the numbers and more towards what their body is telling them. What do you think the like job of a coach, especially for young people and people recently out of college um, to communicate this. I mean, I remember in high school, cross country, like nobody really talked about it. We had girls on the team that would get stress fractures over and over again. And, you know, you just didn't really think about that. And our coach never really talked to us about that. I think, you know, that we're 20, I'm 20 years removed from that. And so there's a lot of resources out there. And it's like, you know, back then it's like, maybe you don't know what you don't know, but now we know. So Mm -hmm. what do you think the job of a high school coach, maybe not just running, but any high school coach should be in this topic? I think the first and most important thing is never to make any comments about athletes' bodies or food that they're eating. Um, I think coaches don't realize the weight that their words carry sometimes and how long it sticks with athletes. 
I mean, I have athletes in their 30s who are telling me things their high school coach told them when they were 14 that they can't get out of their mind. So I would say, first and foremost, don't try to provide nutrition education for your athletes, even if it's coming from a good place, because if you're not trained on how to address that topic with somebody who might have an eating disorder, might develop one, it can spiral out of control pretty quickly. So I think as a coach, it's really important that you find someone you feel comfortable with to educate your athletes. So I've had, I've been doing this recently. I'm also a high school coach in Louisville. And so we'll do like nutrition presentation at the beginning of the semester for the parents, for the kids, for the coaches. So everyone is kind of on the same page of generally like this is an environment where we want to all be feeling well and, and feeling is important. And we don't, you know, cut things out or only eat salads. Like this is what we need to be doing as a team. And then I think if a coach notices an athlete who, you know, presents as a concern, like all of a sudden they've just lost a ton of weight and they're looking very unhealthy, or you notice if you're at team meals that they're not really eating their food, or now they have a stress fracture or their performance is going downhill. I think having someone you feel comfortable referring them to is really important. And the nice thing about high school athletes is you have the parents, so you can talk to the parents and the parents can kind of get the kids on board with getting help. I think it gets trickier when we get to college. And I think that's where the NCAA as a whole has kind of done a disservice to athletes in that dietitians are really new Mm. in the NCAA. Really? How new? I mean, I would say within the last five years. Wow. Most D1 departments have hired one, at least one dietitian. Keep in mind, there's about 350 plus athletes per school. Wow. So a lot of times it's one dietitian who gets pulled towards the football or basketball team who makes the most money and the higher risk athletes like the cross country team kind of get put on the back burner until it's a serious issue. So I, I mean, I really think there needs to be a lot more policy changes higher up that encourages that education early on and sets athletes up for a better, healthier life during and post sport, instead of just kind of using them up the one year that maybe they're under fueling works and they perform well and they get you a title or whatever, score some points at conference, and then kind of pushing them to the side when they're injured and struggling and being like, well, we've got the new next Mm -hmm. best run here. So you're kind of on your own. And then that athlete is frustrated and confused and sad and you know it's it's a hard place to be so I think at the college level there definitely needs to be a lot more infrastructure to help catch those athletes early on and more preventative and a lot more education with coaches and staff who are working directly with athletes I think that would avoid a lot of issues that have come to light um, about you know different colleges I think just having that in place would be really helpful for the athletes and staff alike because a lot of times coaches again don't understand that they're they're creating a toxic environment or they're making comments that are negatively impacting their athletes because they just haven't been taught how to handle that so yeah I think it depends on the level but starting early with the education is super important and having those parents on board in high school helps but I think the biggest issue comes post high school when those athletes don't have those resources. I mean, how do we advocate for that? Is like Maddie Alm, registered dietitian, having to like (laughs) write into D1 schools and like tell them what needs to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's so frustrating. Of course, I'm biased because I am a dietitian, but 
I feel like as a profession, we have to sell ourselves so much more than a strength coach, an athletic trainer, a doctor, and not as a doctor, but we're just as qualified as the other ones. You know, like we go to school for eight years, we have a license, like it's a big process to become a dietitian. And a lot of times schools either don't value that or they value the other positions more. And the reason athletes are going to the trainer or the doctor is often related to nutrition. Totally. And so then it's just kind of like triage instead of preventative. Um, And so that's always been really frustrating for me to watch as a dietitian. And, you know, as a runner, I watch running and can typically pick out an athlete that I know is probably going to end up injured or unfortunately that we might not see the next season and it would be so easy to prevent this at the beginning that it just like puts me on my soapbox every time I see it because it's like I said it's such a disservice to the athletes and I think the system overall would produce more and better athletes and better results if they address that. Well, I'm getting behind you. Whatever you need me to sign, <laughs> whatever you need know, me to like right? share, <laughs> I'm getting behind you on this because, yeah. yeah, I mean, because the other piece to that is just like the mental health piece, right? Because exactly. if these athletes can't do what they love because they their body hasn't been fueled properly and they're getting injured, like there's yeah. a big time mental health piece to that. Absolutely. And you'll hear a lot of these athletes that have had Red S say, I wish I knew what this was earlier. And again, that's where we don't, recognize it until it's impacted their career to some degree or done long-term damage on their bone density or their health or their ability to run in the future. And there is, like I said, that intentional piece, that disordered eating, eating disorder piece, but there's also that just lack of knowledge piece that contributes to it. And those are the athletes who are like, I would never have done that Mm. if I knew that it wasn't actually going to help my performance. So I just think catching that early and getting ahead of it would give us such a better relationship with the sport and after the sport. You know, a lot of runners finish college and they're like, I'm never running again. I hate it. And that makes me so sad because they got into it because they loved it and they kind of got chewed up and spit out by the system. And I just wish there was more in place to help support them during their time there during times of injury and then set them up with a good relationship with food, good knowledge of food so that they can go beyond college and be a healthy person and function at whatever capacity they want to, whether that's in the sport or not. Yeah. And friends listening, I'm, I'm just thinking through as Maddie's talking about this and I'm not saying this person had read us, but uh, Megan, who has been on this podcast before, she was trying to break um, Megan Murray, by the way. Um, hi, Megan, if you're listening. She was trying to break three hours for a really long time in the marathon. And in her episode on this show, she talked about once she started working with a dietitian, she f- just realized, like, I'm not eating enough. And mm-hmm. I don't know that if it was to the point where she had read us, but... She got her fueling needs figured out and she started eating more sandwiches, you know. Oh, the sandwiches get so much hate. Why is that? (laughs) It's the two pieces of bread. You can have more than one piece of bread in a day, people. I'm telling you. (laughs) Um, And she quickly broke three hours and has done it multiple times. I don't I don't remember. I think she just ran 248 in Boston. Like she's like, I mean, right. Like, and she was training so hard and she couldn't get under three. And this was such a big piece to the puzzle for her. And so I guess I'm saying that because I'm thinking 
you might think this might not be a problem for you because you don't have an eating disorder, because you don't think you have an right. eating disorder and because exactly. you you don't battle with the body image thing. Um, but Megan is such an example of like someone who just thought she was doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. She just thought this yeah. is this is how I'm supposed to eat. I'm fueling my body. And she worked with Megan Featherston and Megan was like, you need way more carbs in your life. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's where like the males with red S kind of don't recognize it because they're like, well, I'm not a female athlete with an eating disorder, so I'm fine. That's not an issue. But I honestly think sometimes it can be worse in males because they're not, it's not talked about the struggles with body image and food with, with men. It's not talked about as often. Mm -mm. I truly think it's just as bad of an issue, Really, but it's just not as um, prevalent in research or in statistics because men either don't seek help for it, don't get diagnosed for it, or just don't come forward with it. Um, so I really admire Jake coming out with his story because even just from his story, I've had so many male athletes reach out to me and say, I think I have this. Do you have client spots? You know, like I just, it's so cool to see an athlete use their experience to help better the sport. Um, and I think that's super important for male athletes to know it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing that, um, you know, you're not a bad person. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just kind of the nature of the sport and seeking help for it and getting to the other side of it will make you a better athlete for sure. And hopefully a healthier and happier one too. I love that. You know, um, so we recently launched a new podcast in my network, Sandy Boy Productions, the ready to run podcast. Awesome. Yep. And um, Dr. Efren Cabalas mm -hmm. has worked closely with Maddie and Jake. And I don't know if you know this yet, Maddie, or if he's asked you yet, but I think Efren is planning to do an interview conversation between you and Jake and talk yeah. about this topic and bring the doctor side, yeah. um, the orthopedic side to this as well. Mm -hmm. So um, you all ha need to go subscribe to Ready to Run because you know, Maddie and I are just touching on a small part of this, but they're mm -hmm. going to really dive into it specifically over there. Yeah, that's so awesome. I'm excited for that. Um, Maddie, thank you for coming back on again. And I am just certain that this small piece of the six part series is going to be huge for so many people. Absolutely. I hope that I've convinced some people that nutrition is super important. Um, and thank you so much for having me back on. It's been so fun. Fueling Forward. What's the website? Oh, fuelingforward.com is my website. And then fueling underscore forward is my Instagram, which I'm going to get back on posting there. It's just been a busy month. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, I, I said at the beginning of this, I watched your race from the phone. Yeah. Yeah. But then I went to your profile before the interview. I was like, I better make double check like what place she got and how she did. And then I was like, why didn't oh, she yeah. post it? I'm going to be honest. I'm terrible at social media. So I apologize. I'm trying to work on it. But it's kind of like the last thing on my bucket list at the end of the day. So you know what? That's <laughs> why you're so kick ass at what you do in all the other aspects. Thank you. I try. Social media is not my strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you, Maddie. I appreciate thank you so you. much. Absolutely. Have a great week. You too. All right, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Maddie, for coming back on the show. I love talking to you. You are such a fun guest and so, so knowledgeable. Maddie is M-A-D-S-A-L-M 12 personally on Instagram, but her business is fueling underscore forward over there. You want to check her out. Uh, we've got some more great nutrition episodes coming up in this series. Thank you, Inside Tracker. Thank you, Koala Clip, for supporting the show. 
InsideTracker.com slash another will get you 20% off your order with anything in the Inside Tracker store. KoalaClip.com. Use the code another for 10% off your order. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm LindsayHine626. I would love to connect with you there. And uh, learn more about this podcast and all the podcasts in our network when you go to SandyBoyProductions.com. We just launched a brand new podcast called Ready to Run with Efron Cabalas, Doctor of Orthopedics, and Kurt Roser, Doctor of Physical Therapy. It is a great informative show where they talk to clinicians, athletes, and researchers in the field of running and physical therapy. It's a really great podcast. Go check it out and leave them a rating and review if you love it. Thanks for being here. We will see you this Friday with a regular athlete or coach interview. Have a really great rest of your day.